So instead of being on uh, the red team, suddenly you were on the, uh, the collaboration squad. And it's like, from the team standpoint, literally nothing changed at all. Like my day-to-day was exactly the same mm. it used to be. <laughs> but someone cares. higher up Nobody cares. just felt yeah. like shifting these things around would somehow magically make things more productive. Yeah, I'm sorry, but that sounds like me when I clean my house and I haven't taken ADD meds and I just literally pick up one thing from one room and put it in the other room. Welcome to Working Code. And now your hosts, none of whom have ever seen a failing unit test, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 75. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about changes. Changes. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but as usual, we're going to start with our triumphs and fails. And Ben, it's uh, your turn to go first, buddy. What do you got going on? I'm going to kick us off with a failure of sorts. It's not really a failure, but I've just been feeling out of it lately. Just not terribly focused. I feel like I'm losing, not in like a dementia sort of way but just like i think about yesterday and like nothing it's just like nothing sticking Mm -hmm. in my head i feel just sort of like my brain is swimming through time um so where are you on the rope checklist so it's i'm in a really interesting place because i've actually been shipping I'm, i'm having like fits of shipping stuff at work but then i keep going back you know what it is is i'm coming up against this end of life for my platform and as it approaches i feel like it's it feels like you know, I've been feeling lonely at work and I've been feeling like there's no one to celebrate my wins with me because no one really cares about the old platform anymore. So futile, maybe futile. It's like all just feeling mm. more and more futile as I continue to try to move forward, doing what I can for the old platform, knowing that it's going to end and like seeing users migrate. And I, I look at my analytics and I'm seeing analytics for features like slowly start to go down and to the right in terms of usage and it, it it becomes harder and harder to motivate every day to to get up and keep trying to crush it at uh, my usual levels. So I just it's been tough. It's been tough. So only like ninety five percent crushes. <laughs> <laughs> but I do feel triumphant in that I am continuing to try and crush it as much as possible, despite the fact that it's like if Ben crushes it in the woods and no one's there to uh, hear him, <laughs> like is he actually crushing it? Uh, but so I, I feel good about that. I'm slogging forward, but I just feel like out of sorts lately. So, so you said you're coming up on the end of life here. Do you have like a date or is it just once they manage to get everybody off yeah, to the new stuff? It's so it's so amorphous. It's like, there's kind of a date in the next couple of quarters, but it's all sub subject change. And it all depends on how fast we make progress with some of our migration efforts, which historically take a lot longer than we're anticipating and it's but it all feels just very soon so that's me have you been doing any research in like where you want to move when a move is necessary it's so tough it's so tough because a lot of the a lot of the teams are obviously go based golang and i just every time i look at a pr that has go in it it just is such a turnoff and I'm sure a lot of it is just that I'm not familiar with the syntax, but I feel like the syntax is just wonky and there's no, the error handling in Go is so terribly verbose. 
And it's just very different from my particular style. So, so you're not allowed to use as many line breaks? Exactly. Or? You can't have <laughs> you can't have nearly as much white space. Your variables all have to be like one character long. It's really bizarre. But then on the other That's hand, Perl. <laughs> yeah. And on the other hand, all the front end stuff is all in React. And I don't have a lot of experience with React. So I, I don't know exactly where I want to go. Part of me wonders if maybe I should be, at least for some period of time, just like a floating bug fixer. And that way I could sort of mm-hmm. get my feet wet with the new platform. And Because I, I only even vaguely understand the capabilities of the new platform. There's a lot of stuff I just have to learn in order to be effective. And I wonder if there's something yeah. that could just kind of drink from the fire hose in terms of the breadth of everything before I focus in one particular area. I wonder if you would have the opportunity to like pick two or three teams that you would like think of as your most likely that you'll join them and then just spend like a week on each team it could be try cool. to be a part of that team, fix bugs for them or whatever. And that way you get, it's like a tryout or whatever, but you're trying them out. I guess yeah, they're trying cool. you out too, but. Exactly. It'll work itself out. I'm confident that I'll land somewhere and, and get up to speed. And the hardest thing is just going to be the mental reset that I have to do. Basically going from a subject matter expert to basically, yeah. I, I'm pretty much the same as if you had just hired me to work on this stuff. And I'm, yeah. you know, I have historical understanding of the company, but I have basically no historical mm. understanding of the new platform. So, yeah, yeah. Oh man, that reminds me of like, I went through this period where I kind of rage quit the CFML community. (laughs) We didn't notice. No one had noticed. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I got fed up with certain aspects of the corporate side of it, the the, Adobe and and their shtick. And I got fed up with some of the community itself. And and so I just kind of was like, you know what? Screw this. I keep putting effort and time and my, for lack of a better word, my love into this community to try and for make what, good stuff right? happen. And yeah. right, the return on investment was like negligible. Mm. So I was just like, I'm done. And I quit. And and I've reinvested my energy into other stuff, particularly JavaScript and TypeScript. And I went from being, pardon me for kind of tooting my own horn here, but it's true that the CFML community is really small. So I went from feeling like a big fish in a small pond to feeling like a a tiny speck of fish food in the ocean, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like I have no authority to blog on anything and like just kind of, I I imagine that's probably similar to like a thousand percent that I'm going to have to ask people like, Hey, my code's not compiling. Can someone take a look at that? And like, I've never had to ask. How do you compile code, please? (laughs) Yeah. If there's one thing that I think is one of my superpowers, it's just debugging code. But I I think that stems from being so familiar with the platform. And now it's going to be like, this doesn't work. And I have no idea what to do. And I don't even know, like, I don't even think you could just throw a debugger or like, what am I going to do without CF dump? (laughs) Step debugging, man. Step debugging. Is that a thing in Go? I don't know. It's so great. 
I will tell you that's one thing about when I switched jobs. I was terrified of not being able to pick up a new language. And then once I got in there and I started learning, I realized that a lot of what I have learned and a lot of the core of what I understand still applies. I still have the ability to think that way. I just have to do it in another way. And I have to Google different things. I'm mm-hmm. like, in .NET, how do you output debug code? And I'm like, oh, okay, let's put it in the console. Like, let's get it in the output log. Like, okay, I'm figuring this out. I'm like, where is just the CF dump here? That doesn't exist. Like, there's no just right. dump it here. Give it to me. So, like, once you figure that out, you'll feel more comfortable. So, it'll just take a little time. I will say challenges are helping me, though. So, if nothing else, you are helping me because my team is going to be transitioning into this same process. So, we're going to be taking our legacy, our current application and current platform, we're going to be transitioning it into a new version. And there's a couple people who are super excited to just kind of stay on CF for as long as possible. And they've made it clear that they want to be the last people standing. And I'm worried about them at the end of it with how do they transition off? So sorry you're having growing pains, but I'm definitely learning from you and hoping that I can take some of your struggles into my team and help them so that they don't have the same struggles again. So you're helping me and helping my team. So I appreciate that, Ben. I feel good about that, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so that's me. Adam, what do you got going on? I'm going to go with the triumph this week. About a year ago, actually... When this episode airs tomorrow, a year ago, so the the Thursday after this episode airs, it will be a year since my initial release of Semaphore, my CFML feature flags library. Holy crap, it's been a year already? I know, Exactly, yeah. That's nuts. And so pretty shortly after I built it and we talked about it here on the show and stuff, we had it in production in our app and, and it's been working great for us ever since. But that was with one caveat. And basically, it's been working great for us because we had one problem with it and we found a way to work around it sort of as a band-aid. It, the way it was originally written, I don't have good support for mixing and and or mm. I, operators or I don't know what you would call those, nor expressions with different rules. You could have a bunch of rules and and them, like all of them are and, or you can have a bunch of rules and or them all, but you can't have like a mix like this and this or this and this sort of thing. And so finally, I'm adding support for that because we had a way to get around it, but it was super annoying and it's time. And actually, so I I made the changes today in sort of the data model and I wrote up a blog post about it, about how it's going to be different. And I took our existing flag data and I converted it over to the new data structure and getting rid of the extra flags that we needed to work around the problem the data is now about half as much as it was before for the exact same flags. We just, our, our solution was like, okay, so we don't have or support, but we need sort of complex ands and ors. So let's just do like, okay, the, this is the flag for the production environment. And the rules are like, environment is production and customer is this and blah, blah, blah. And then the, there's a QA flag, environment is QA and blah, blah, blah. And we, instead of like, is the flag enabled for this feature? It was like, is the flag enabled for feature dash QA, feature dash prod, feature Mm -hmm. dash dev. So we're checking multiple features and if any, or multiple flags, and if any of them evaluated to true in the current environment, then it would return true. So it's kind of like feature flag around a feature flag, I guess. Anyway, so because of the changes, now we have far less data in that file, which makes me feel good. And that'll be a third of the, number of items on our dashboard managing the feature flag data and stuff. So I'm excited about it. Sounds cool. I'm just so excited that you're excited about feature flags. Oh yeah, they're great. Everybody on my team absolutely loves them. Yeah. 
So they've, they've been a huge win for us. We're starting to do things that are going to be like more or less permanent feature flags too. So like we have a, a module for alumni association membership and a customer might start out with the module disabled, but then they're going to want to like turn it on for a few people to get a preview of what it's going to look like and how it's going to operate before they turn it on for the public or whatever. So the feature flags gives us the ability to just turn it on for those few people, let them see it and uh, make sure it's all configured properly and then just turn it on globally. Very cool. For, for whatever reason, what you were just talking about reminded me of, I was listening to an episode, I think it was a design details the other day, and they were talking about Apple's chip architecture. And they were saying that there's all different types of price points for the chips, but under the hood, they're actually just all the same exact chip. And then it just, they mm-hmm. just like deactivate some of the, the GPU cores or something. They were like, it's less expensive for them to give you a more powerful chip, but then disable parts mm-hmm. of it than it is to produce different types of well, chips. You're talking about their new SOCs, system on a chip? Mm, maybe. I don't like know. Like the new M1. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah actually, stuff. it's an interesting thing. Like I, I learned a few years ago, that's how CPUs and GPUs are. Like they're always aiming for the higher or whatever, but then when they QA them, it's like, oh, okay, this one only works at this clock speed or, or it only performs well and, and efficiently at this clock speed. So that's what we're going to sell it as. And they just, it's, it's not even an intentional like burn these transistors off or anything. It's just, they don't work. The, it was an <laughs> imperfect implementation on this particular square of silicon. Yeah, it's so fascinating. So Tesla does the same thing. So like our car matches anyone else's car, but we have to pay extra for upgrades to it. And all the upgrade is, is just turn the feature on. So <laughs> Feature flags. It's so stupid. Yeah. Oh, man. Ridiculous. I have the car. Let me drive it. <laughs> Do you have a Tesla? Yeah. Steve has a Y. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Anyway, so that's me. How about you, Tim? I'm going with the Triumph as well. So work-wise, things are steady state. Nothing too super exciting. I mean, we, a few weeks ago, we talked about closing that deal. That's awesome. We I, we got it live yesterday. So it's up and running. And nice. That was a pretty quick turnaround. So, But, you know, otherwise, you're shipping some small things. Nothing nothing huge. Personal life, COVID kind of lessening up here and people kind of getting somewhat back to normal. My daughter is 16 and she's never been to a concert. And there was Atlanta has a music festival called Shaky Knees. And so uh, Green Day was playing and Dropkick Murphys and um, a bunch of other ones. Anyway, took her to a concert. My son had a, a school thing, so he couldn't go. He was in, uh, oh, he, my son was in, in Atlanta for their esports team went to state. And one of their team members oh, won. Oh, that's awesome. One, he's the best Madden player in the East Coast. That's crazy. So he. That, that's not your son. You said that's just one. No, of not my son. Just one of the players. Yeah. Their, their yeah. team did pretty good, but they didn't take state. So. That's that cool. still blows yeah, my mind cool. that esports is a thing. A sport, that, that right? Really, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a sport. And what cracks me up, so they had the honors night for the seniors and, and my son, he's valedictorian. I, I know I keep saying that a lot, but I'm very proud of him. Uh, and, so uh, proud, yeah. Highest, highest, highest score in three of the four classes he took. And then they have one for like, they call them the school mascots, the Trojans, the football teams called the Trojans. And uh, they have like student athlete awards. And, and there's this kid, he, he's a good football player. He's an A plus honor roll student and he's going to Yale. And so we all just assume that he was going to get that award. So they call it out and they go the highest grade average and it plays sports. And they said, Maxwell Cunningham. And he goes, he looks over, <laughs> he looks over like, 
what? <laughs> and they give him this like, trophy and like this, this, up. This, this gift card. And he goes and sits back down. And he looks at the people next to him and goes, I guess esports counts. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it was. It's esports counted. He, he felt so bad. He went up to the kid that's going to Yale with under football scholarship. He's like, dude, I'm so sorry. This totally belongs to you. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. I'm not a real athlete. That. I just mash buttons. <laughs> you, you actually throw, you actually sports. Oh, man. Aww. So, yeah, just lots of fun stuff going on personally. So, well, that's great. That's awesome. Yep. How about you, Carol? Oh, I have a triumph. I, as you guys have been listening, I got promoted and have like a new role on my plate, but I've been writing a lot of code. So I've been pair programming with one of my developers on this project that we're on and he's on vacation with his wife and he left in just some kind of comments in his code and was like, hey, not really for sure how to handle this. Not really for sure how to handle this. Hard coded some things here and don't know what to do with it. So I grabbed his branch and fixed all of those. And I'm super happy. And I pushed them back up and was like, hey, you have new code. Welcome back from vacation. <laughs> and that nice. made me so happy because I just get to write code. And I love writing code. Like I love this new role I'm in, but coding still makes me very happy. So I'm glad I get to enjoy both of it. So that's why I try out. I get to write code. Coding is the Yay. best. <laughs> It's the best, right? I feel like coding is the best when you are paired with someone who goes, hey, I just, I'm at a challenge. Like, I don't know how to figure this out. And you grab it and you're like, oh, you're gone. I'll work through it and see if I can't figure it out for you. And it was just a mapping issue. It was, oh, you didn't go file deep enough. You didn't go path deep enough. That's all it was. Mm -hmm. And take out your hard coding and now put in the correct paths for you for things. It's just learning the application and learning how we've set up all of our mappings to understand how that works. But it's great when you kind of get to go, hey, it works. Yay. Heck yeah. There you go. Well, I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, Helping others get, especially if somebody's like, I don't know what to do here. And you can be like, oh, this is what you do. Nothing about coding makes me feel better than that. Like when I know the solution to somebody's problem. Yep. Makes you feel smart too. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I keep thinking about uh, Groundhog Day with uh, Bill Murray. Carol, have you ever seen that? I have seen that one actually. Yes. But there's at one point he's, he's kind of... Uh, gone out of his mind a little bit and he starts talking to Andy McDowell about how he's like, I'm probably just a God. He's like, and maybe this is how God works. Like, it's not that he's all knowing it's that he's done the same thing over and over again. So he knows how everything works, but it, it's repetitive. That's how right? I feel about about like debugging and stuff. I'm like, I've just failed and had so many bugs so many times that now I just have a good instinct for when I see a bug, I'm like, Oh yeah, I know what that is. I know exactly what that is and where it is in the stack and how to fix it. It's funny you say that because I had the conversation today with someone who was asking me about possible career paths for them. And they were chatting about like cybersecurity versus a data scientist. And I was like, the thing, like personally for me, a thing with data scientists is a lot of repetition. It's a lot of the same problems over and over again and resolving them. It's a lot of what you already know. And I feel like if you go the cybersecurity route, it's every day is a new challenge. Like you're going to solve a problem, but then you're going to be faced with new problems next week. Something you haven't had a chance to challenge, like to be challenged at yet. So you have to decide, like, do you want to be repetitive and be really good at repeating what you know over and over again? Or do you want to constantly be challenged on something you have no idea how to face? So that was kind of like my little takeaway. I was like, go cybersecurity. It's sexier. <laughs> <laughs> I, I listened to a couple of like cybersecurity podcasts. One of my favorite is Darknet Diaries. And 
Oh man, it's you're right. It's definitely the new frontier of computing. Now that right. pretty much the entire world is like online and on computers, there's just like all that much more incentive for hacking and stealing stuff. And it's just, it's crazy. And if I were a younger man, I might make that change, that career change. But yeah, and go that I route. am not, and I will not. Yeah, a little silly thing I told this guy was like this week, I was given access to all of the personal cell phone numbers of every employee in the company. <laughs> And I was like, if I were a bad person, I would just sell that. <laughs> Be like, have everyone's cell phone number. Have fun with it. <laughs> like, you want the owner of the company? Here's his cell phone number. And I'm like, it's so easy to just get data out now. It, it doesn't take anything. It takes one bad actor to make something happen. Not even a bad actor, just somebody who yes. has access and is careless. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, too. Yo, yeah. If I could oh. just side rant for a second, though. I, I feel like it's in vogue right now for people to talk about how difficult it is to build login systems. And I feel like I can't go a, a week without hearing someone say, well, I would never want to build my own login system. Like I'd rather, I'd much rather outsource to something <laughs> like Auth0 or Okta or, or whatever other options there are. And I feel like there's this weird fear mongering around one very thin part of the application when in reality, like Every single part of your application exposes data, and if you do it wrong, could potentially leak terrible data hmm. to people who shouldn't have it. And I just, I understand that there are parts of logins that are more complicated. Like if you wanted to do OAuth kinds of stuff or social logins, then you're getting into it. This isn't really our core business value. We should be building features, not logins. But if you just want to have a, yeah. a username and password, like there's some very predictable ways on how to build that and you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And that's just as, I don't want to say easy, but like doing that is no different than securing any endpoint with authorization and, and validating that people have access okay. to particular records. And I just, I don't understand where all the fear mongering comes from. It seems very in vogue right now and I don't get it. Because so we can blame somebody else if it goes wrong. <laughs> but there's yeah. so much that can go wrong. <laughs> Yeah, but it's not my problem. I didn't write it. <laughs> the first line of any def like the first line of defense for us like an application is are you logged in? Are you a logged in user? Like that is the number one thing. Like once you're logged in, then you get access to a big chunk of information. So if you bypass that login, then oh man, everything's screwed at that point. So I can see some fear with did I get logged in right? Like, whew. Login. I guess so. It's but it's like part. those systems don't even manage sessions, I think. Like they're just the authentication. No. You still have to manage the sessions and make sure that when someone hits an API mm -hmm. endpoint that they have an active session or a token that makes sense. I mean, there's still yeah. it's like you're still doing like ninety-nine point nine percent of the stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I sorry. So, uh, end of side rant. I just I there's it feels well, like there's someone. What if I'm not gonna let you end it? Because I have <laughs> feelings responses. Uh, and feelings. Well, so Ben, I know you and I in particular, and probably Carol and Tim as well. This is we have reinvented this login wheel how many times throughout yeah, our yeah, career? A million times. So numerous. We've been backend developers <laughs> for a, a, probably a lot longer than we care to admit. I think mm -hmm. probably what is going unseen when you're seeing that those rants or I forget how you call it fear, fear mongering is probably most of those people are coming from a, I've been a front-end developer and the idea of having yeah, to figure yeah. that out is scary. 
Because I think, you know, this whole, it used to be there was no such thing as a front-end developer. Either you were a web developer or not, and you did the back-end and the front-end because there was no such thing as like a separation of front-end from back-end. So I think that generation of coders has a different perspective. And if it was just username and password, I would agree with you. But I think that, I hope that they are looking at it through the more sophisticated logins that are available now, like one-time passwords. And there's even, I forget the, there's a new thing that like Google and a couple of other big companies are pushing that's like passwordless login, but somehow like even more secure than one-time passwords Mm. and stuff. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Someone to side ran off your side. Do it. (laughs) Double down. (laughs) What you just said, Adam, reminded me. So I had a call last week with uh, a very new client and they're trying to trying to make it so they can take payments. They do like training. I'm talking to them and I'm trying to explain, all right, so, because they want to shift it off from their site and kind of kick over to our site and we make the, our site look like theirs. And I'm like, all right, so all you need to do is just, if you can generate this URL, and I kept saying things like generate or if you can add these parameters. And, and the guy was like, what do you mean generate this? I, I don't understand what you're talking about. And he, like, I'm like, is this guy dumb? <laughs> I was getting really upset because I couldn't make myself clear. And finally, and it's totally my fault because I was looking at it from my perspective. I'm like, all right, so what is this written in? He goes, oh, it's in WordPress. I'm like, mm. ah, oh. got you. So he's not doing any backend stuff where he can like ding, ding, dynamically ding. build the URL and do this kind of stuff. I'm like, okay, here's what we do. I'm like, this just the link that you need to come to this class to pay. It, it looks like this, and and I didn't talk about generating a parameter. But just you know, class Here's code equals yeah. class code equals this. Just that's the URL, and any other class you want, just replace that class code equals with whatever the class number is. Like, oh, okay, yeah, I can do that. Just copy and paste these links. Yeah, yeah. and we were done. So, but it's like my total bias of working in a database, building server-side code, and also doing front-end development to make this website look like this. I'm like, no, he's just doing web- WordPress plugins. Yeah, yeah. the uh, cursed knowledge. Yeah, cursed knowledge. All right, Carol, what's your side rant <laughs> off of Tim's? <laughs> actually, actually, I would love to take this to feed into Do our it. main topic. Okay. All right, so like I mentioned before, multiple times, you're going to hear a lot coming up. It's kind of running two roles is a challenge at times because I'm... Uh, individual contributor and I'm also a manager. So I never know which hat I'm wearing when someone like schedules a meeting. So I don't know what's going on. But one of the things I wanted to chat about is change. And how the hell do you manage change when you feel like your team is outside the bounds of that change or it doesn't apply to us because we're just amazing (laughs) and we rock. So we shouldn't have to follow these rules. I'm sorry, we shouldn't. We're great. Let us do our thing and we're going to be fine. But one of the things we struggle with is you guys are mentioning it, like when you have front end and back end developers working, like they don't think the same way. They're not working the same way. They have different processes for stuff. My team doesn't have that. We are full stack engineers. We know the database. We know the front end. We know the back end. We write everything from top to bottom. So we have different deployment processes. We have different work processes. I mean, we release code daily, actually twice a day. Like we don't really follow Scrum. We do Kanban and we just... We go pretty smooth and we have no complaints. Unlike our survey every year, it's like, this team is super happy and we're great with what we have. Don't change us. Like we're just making money and we're flowing great. So when we make decisions at a top level that go, hey, we want to change how we release code. We want to change how we create sprints. We want to actually do a true like four week sprint. I am sitting here now in this middle ground going, how the heck do I challenge Mm -hmm. this correctly? 
and not sound like an going, my team's doing great. Don't make us do something different. But I also want to say, like, what made you get to this? And that's what I have been questioning a lot of is why did we make the decision? Like what brought us to the conversation where we go, Hey, let's change how we're releasing code. Let's change how we are working on every month. Let's change how we're road mapping. Um, let's talk about how teams just flow in general. If one team's doing great, should they really be outside the bounds of the rest of the company? If the rest of the company is kind of where they're having the, the downfall at, or do I just kind of suck it up and say, Hey guys, we're, up for a change, even though we don't really need this change. I'm just, I'm really struggling on where my ground is at right now. And it's a challenge. Yeah. And I don't know what to right. do. I, I have a, a thought, but I want to start with, I think that it's definitely clear to me now that you have significantly moved into management because <laughs> you are officially now a bi-directional <laughs> catcher. <laughs> uh, Every way is right. left and right. Management's telling you, you got to change and your team is saying, we don't yeah. want to change. But here's the good thing about where I work is they're not saying you've got to change. Okay. They're saying we've been planning this for a long time before you and a couple other people joined. Let us get you right in. And now we're all going on site and we're going to go, hey, let's look through this data. Let's find out if what we've collected actually is right. You have input into this. You have buy into this. You get to help us make this decision. So they care what I say. They care what my team says. So I don't feel like I'm being pushed into any one direction. And I honestly feel like if I went to my full leadership team and I said, hey, this is great for the company, but I feel like this is going to have a negative impact on my team, we we would be pulled out of the decision completely. They'd be like, all right, keep doing your thing. You guys are rolling smoothly. Is this related or unrelated to that? You were talking about something similar not too long ago about how your team was switching to working on, I think it was eight-week cycles? No. So we had talked previously about the cycle process that we were doing. And I think cycles are still happening across the company. Mm -hmm. But we very quickly went, cycles aren't for us. So we did two sprints or two stints of it. And we were like, hey, eight-week releases. My team doesn't work well like that. We like to continuously like continuously be developing and working on something new. So that hold up and that's that, that oh, like wow. stale time. You're only doing like it put us production behind. deploys every eight weeks. Well, no, we were allowed to deploy when it was done, but we weren't allowed to pick up anything oh, new. Oh wow. Okay. So while we could deploy as soon as it was ready for production, so if we got done with it, we couldn't pick up anything that was outside of cycle. So if we had four projects in work, once all four of those were done, we kind of were just stuck That's, in this weird limbo yeah. of what the hell do we do, which had been fine on the other teams because they hadn't faced that challenge yet. They didn't have downtime. They had such a big backlog and what they were putting in the sprint or what they were putting in their cycle made sense for what they were capable of doing. We just churned out a lot more than they expected. So then. We were stuck not knowing what to do. So we immediately like came off of that. We're like, this is not going to work with us. We will make sure that our work for what the rest of the company needs aligns in schedule. So if we have another product that needs to release something that we're releasing, we'll make sure we go out at the same time. Like we'll keep all that work in sync with your cycle, Mm -hmm. but we're not going to stick in a true cycle sprint. We're going to keep working on whatever we have a roadmap to work on. So I think here's like seven good words to say to ask them right so what problem yep. is this solving yep what 
did yeah. that. And the, did mm-hmm. they tell you? It's a company. It's mostly just like company-wide problems. And the problem with us right now with product is they can't truly roadmap more than like a week at a time. It's very hard for them to roadmap like what they want in each quarter because the way our team functions is just, what do you want right now? We'll give you what you want right now and we'll keep going. And they want the ability to roadmap. So that does make sense when you're like, oh, I want this to go in the quarter. You can still tell me every week what you want and we'll just get it out. But they kind of want more deliverables and more roadmappable dates rather than this is what's going in for our week work. Mm. Sounds kind of like they need to break it up into bigger initiatives and then each week is contributing toward the current initiative or whatever. Yeah, Mm. I think what you're saying is right, but on the flip. So we have the big initiatives already and we're breaking them out into smaller initiatives so it can be delivered weekly. Right. Yeah. So what they put on the roadmap would be the the uh, Q3 deliverables. But yeah, yeah. 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 So the Q3 deliverable is this, but we need these 10 things accomplished to get there. And this is how we're going to get to it. But that doesn't yeah. mean I need to change this to Scrum or Xprint. Like I can keep yeah. working how I'm working. Well, the other week you were talking about taking a large project and then de-scoping it and saying, okay, given that large project, here's what portion of that we think we can ship in the next four weeks. And, and I wonder if doing more yep. of that kind of stuff, because it, it, the issue, or not the issue, but an issue is that they have this idea of a roadmap, things that they want to have happen in succession, but then they're also sort of fixated on the time that those things will happen. So I wonder if, if you can use oh, yeah. the de-scoping of projects to sort of find a happy medium, like let the company put things in order of priority and say, we want this to happen and this to happen. And then instead of fixating so heavily on exactly when all those things will get done, can they, can they say, okay, it's time to work on feature X. How long do we want to put effort into this? And if we say two months, then what can we do in that in two months instead of figuring out how do we get all of it done in, in two months? It feels like some sort of, there has to be like a combination of both road mapping and scoping and like expectation management. Yeah, and, and what you're talking about is where they came to us with this giant project of a big initiative and we scaled it back to truly an MVP. So it went from, we want all of these things to, okay, what is the least amount of work we can give you? Not work, work's the wrong way to put it. What is the least amount of change we can put into the system right now you guys can start using and we can start collecting data from and we can see how to grow it from there because a lot of the changes that you want don't necessarily make sense with what we've seen in the past. And we're not saying that your workflows are wrong, but let's just get something out there working very small and see where to take it from there. And I think that's what you're saying is go small and then grow it from there. So figure out what it is you can accomplish. Plus, I think it keeps you more dynamic. They can react to new evidence and and new user pressures and new ideas and not have to worry about, we can't add this new thing until like six quarters out because we have a six quarter roadmap. You're like, well, maybe you want to do it (laughs) now. Maybe priorities have shifted. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. So I have, uh, I don't know, thinking about our topic here changes. I, I feel like my team has been very productive lately. But at the same time, I can f- I feel like we're moving forward. We're making progress down the road. But I'm seeing like nuts and bolts fall off of our car or our cart or whatever here. And like 
maybe it's just me. I know for sure I have pushed a few things to production lately that were, let's say, a little sloppy. And so it works for 98% of the thing, but then like... Agile. They were agile. (laughs) Agile. Agile. There you go. (laughs) It works fine most of the time, but then there's, okay, there's a little bug there, there's a little bug there. And I feel bad because it's like I put in these... I do these like giant projects lately of I'm going to replace this whole system with something that's going to be more future proof and enable us to to scale out and all this other stuff. And I, so I replaced like code that's been fine for five years with a whole new thing and it's better. It's faster. It's it's all these things, but there's a little bug there's a little bug over there and it it gets on my nerves that stuff slips by me. And I've got one now that's like, I, I have no choice just because we're heading into our busy season with events and we're like, most of us, are going to be working most weekends for like Ooh. the next six or eight weeks. And so, yeah, yeah, it's going to be rough. And so I just was like, you know what? I'm going to disable that feature flag off. We're just not going to touch that for a little while. And I sent an email to all the affected, our IT liaisons for all the affected customers. And like, here's what's going on. It'll get better, but don't panic because it's different now. When you say you're working weekends, is that because of deadlines or that's because events take place on the weekend? As events. Yeah. So my day to day work is on our platform, which is just like it's a software as a service sort of thing. The other like 50 or 70% of our business is in terms of revenue is our event registration and check in software that's specifically designed for the way that universities run their events. And the check in experience in particular kind of requires our specialized equipment. And at least for the first few years, we like to go on site and help them get familiar with it, let them see how we handle the different issues that when they come up, how to refill the paper in the printer or how to deal with the name tag is cutting in the wrong location sort of thing. And once they get familiar with it, then they can usually kind of fly solo. But it means that they're doing reunion with 20,000 people coming on campus. And they need a bunch of us to come out and just make sure that they have a smooth experience. So yeah, just keep things moving. Right. So like I'll be in Philadelphia this weekend and a couple of weeks I'll be up in Providence, Rhode Island and got a couple of other trips planned. And it just means that my schedule is going to be all kinds of out of whack and I'm going to be all stressed out and tired and unable to focus on my usual day-to-day work for any long stretch of time. Right. It'll, those things are, those events are frustrating because there are a lot of hurry up and wait. Right. Oh, you have to go fix a thing. It's on fire right now. Go, 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 go. Okay. <laughs> now you have an hour and a half of total boredom. Problem solved. And, and maybe now you're outside what? in yeah. the cold, right? Yeah. Like it's like, ugh. So. So you're having to tell your users that change is coming or that well, change that they thought was happening may be slightly delayed. I, th- I don't know. I guess what you're I'm in a busy spot, you can't do it. I'm kind of thinking that maybe we need to take a breath and slow down our release pace or figure out something for better testing. I feel like part of what is making things fall through the cracks is just we are getting a lot done with very few people. And as a result, we just don't have the manpower to manually test everything all the time. Yeah. And we we kind of paint ourselves into these corners where it's like, okay, well, we've done all this work. And if we don't release it, then it's going to start to rot before it ever goes to production. So we have to release it, even though it's not perfect. And and then we have to come back and fix those bugs. And it's like, I don't know, it's kind of a catch-22. Yeah, we're at the same point you are. 
slightly there is that we're writing more code than our SQA team can keep up with. Yeah. So we're constantly having to plan with them on when we can get code out, but they're like, oh, well, we're completely slammed. So it's just going to have to sit and wait. Well, we all know that stale code is not a good thing because once it goes into master, it's not where it was when you actually tested it because master's changed Mm -hmm. since then Mm -hmm. or main, if you still call it master main. So not having it tested immediately is a problem, which is one of the positive things for some of the change we're trying to implement because it means that when there's dead time on the developer side, rather than picking up new work, you pick up testing. So you now contribute to making sure that the entire project is done. You have hands-on in it, not just for the coding side, but you help get the SIP reduction for the SQA side. So you take on some of their testing, some of the manual processes that need to run. So I do love that about it. I love that full done scope is defined. We know what done looks like and we know what it takes to get there. And if SQA slammed, then it's our responsibility to get it to done. It's not just SQAs. We don't pick up something else. We go help them. Mm -hmm. So I think that is a great thing about some of the changes we're trying to make is we will get things done with more quality than we may be seeing right now because things aren't going to sit stale waiting to be tested. I, I feel like someone famous once said this, but I can't remember who, that you have to build your company so that one day it can be run by idiots or something like that. And, and I think, I think <laughs> in that vein, there's a lot of comfort to uniformity for the sake of uniformity. And like, Everybody runs their meetings like this and everybody plans their roadmaps like this and everybody has the same kind of OKRs because of these things. And, and they're like, there's a comfort in being able to see patterns from the top. Even if I think a lot of times those patterns don't amount to much or there's nothing you can really extrapolate, but there's a comfort in, in just knowing that everyone is operating the same way. I think there's like that, like a false comfort sometimes. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it sounds to me like you're creating cookie cutters, but then they're not perfect. Yeah, they're not perfect for every situation. We're not cookie cutters. I'm sorry. Engineers in in general don't work like most other departments in a company. Like the way engineers think and the way we operate and when our brains even are on aren't the same as someone who just can sign in at 8 a.m. and sign off at 4 Like there are days at 2 p.m. I can't code anymore and I just need to walk away for a few hours. And you know what? At seven, it feels good again. So if someone told me I had to work from eight to four, I don't fit a cookie cookie cutter mold. I can't do that. And I don't think many engineers can fit that mold. So while it's great if you could have patterns that make sense as far as like how processes work, I don't think that's good for true like employee standards. I also wonder if there's a, I don't know if we've talked about this busy work that makes you feel like you're being productive, but you're not actually working towards the most important thing. We have. As much as coders have that, like I love deleting code that has no use, you know, not right? Much yes. To do with the product. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like it makes me feel like I'm improving the product and like I'm kicking ass and doing stuff. And as much yeah. as I think that's alluring for coders, I assume that's yep. alluring for everybody else in other types of roles. And I think from a managerial standpoint, there's probably a lot of, I feel like I'm doing something because I'm shifting stuff around and I'm changing the way people do stuff. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's actually adding value. (laughs) Rearranging the deck chairs. Yeah, right? Yeah. They're not refactoring. They're just changing stuff. (laughs) Early on in the company, all of our teams were named after 
colors. So there's like the red team and the green team and the aqua team, etc. And then someone came in and said, oh, well, we should name them after nuts. Then there was like the almond team and the hazelnut team. Yeah. And then someone came in and said, oh, Spotify is doing this squads model. So we should probably be doing the squads model as well. So instead of being on uh, the red team, suddenly you were on the, uh, the collaboration squad. And it's like, from the team standpoint, literally nothing changed at all. Like my day-to-day was exactly the same mm. it used to be. <laughs> but someone cares. higher up Nobody cares. just felt yeah. like shifting these things around would somehow magically make things more productive. And it's, again, just like this going through the motions and you feel like you're doing things, but it's not necessarily affecting any change. Yeah, I'm sorry, but that sounds like me when I clean my house and I haven't taken ADD meds and I just literally pick up one thing from one room and put it in the other room, which doesn't help any because then I go to the bedroom and like all the shoes are on the bed. They still have to be put away because they weren't put in the closet. They were just laid on the bed. So That sounds so much. Nothing got accomplished, really. That sounds so much like my process for cleaning. It's like, okay, I'm cleaning my office. So I just look around. It's like, okay, that doesn't belong in here. That doesn't belong in here. That So I make a pile by the door of all the things that need to leave the room. Yes, and then I take right? that pile out and I just distribute it among all the rooms where they belong in a pile. These are, this is like the inbox, <laughs> not where room. it actually goes in the room, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. in yeah. the room's inbox. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's how I clean too. Yeah, <laughs> if I'm not medicated, when I'm medicated, I do wait. Sounds better. like corporate planning. Oh, yeah, they're, they're, we've been having an ongoing project at work where they're normalizing all the way that Jira projects are are put together, like which fields are pinned and which fields are allowed in the boards and like, what are all the columns in the Kanban boards? And I just, I don't get it. Like, I don't understand what they're going to accomplish. So I get a little bit of it because if you as like a project manager get shifted over to manage another project, you should be able to pick it up pretty seamlessly, right? You shouldn't have to go figure out where they're putting things at and how they're managing it. So as you're like switching and shifting people around the company to manage different projects, they're not managing the people, they're just managing the projects. They should really be able to go into any of the JIRA projects and work pretty much seamlessly. So it does make sense from that standpoint. Okay, that's fair. And and to be fair as well, I know so little about Jira. Like <laughs> like I like I've said in the past, all I do is I move my cards across the board. And, <laughs> like the names of the columns like almost don't even mean anything to me. Yeah, when you were like, "Oh, do we all have like little work we want to do?" You must not remember when I was like begging for a Ben's backlog on one episode <laughs> where I was like, "Please give me a Ben's backlog. I need something to go work on." I think that software like Jira that can be used in a thousand different ways probably does suffer from, for lack of a better way to describe it, I would say like the curse of too many configuration options. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, yeah, and when you were describing this, all I could think of was what Tim said earlier, what problem does this solve? In fact, I think yeah, that's what yeah. we should call this right. episode. What problem does this solve? Yeah, and, yeah I like it. I like yeah, it. Yeah, it's just change for change's sake is not a good thing, but necessary change is like the best possible thing. Yeah. And I will go back to what I said in the beginning is that it's great to work where I feel like I have buy-in and that if I challenge the change, I'm listened to and they value my input and they value what I have to say. And just because everyone else is changing, there nothing's written in stone that my team has to make these changes. So I feel great that I have the opportunity to stand up for what we believe and kind of like how we work. But I also want to make sure I'm doing the right thing for the company and for my team. 
So I do think that change at some point will happen and we're going to have to make some adjustments to what we're doing. But I also really enjoy the fact that while we're doing what we do great, we kind of get to just keep functioning. So if the change isn't needed, we kind of just get the flow and that's great. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like they're willing to go over it with you and changes, explain why, kind of go over the data. But at the end of it, if you're not convinced, uh, the question you should ask is, well, you know, what happens if our team decides not to change? Mm. Right. Being sold on the change. Oh, that's a good one. I'm not not sold on it. So if we don't Mm -hmm. do it, how is that going to affect you in the company? Yeah. And they might think about it and go, "Eh, we can work with it. Or they might have a legitimate reason. Well, if you do yeah. that, then it's going to cause this and this. You're like, okay. Yeah. And once you have something to back that up, then I'm more able to go, okay, I can see now. I can maybe understand a little better and you know, give me more picture. Turn face is strange. Wait, what now? Mm-hmm. Time may change me, Ch-ch-changes. but I can't change time. <laughs> this is a reference. I don't get It's David Bowie. Oh, it's the song. song. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I don't listen to song lyrics either. I, I only know because Carol was singing <laughs> and, it, and it fit yeah. the melody. But yeah, uh, mm-hmm. to me, the vocals in every song are just another instrument <laughs> that I appreciate wild, for the sound, wild, wild, not wild. for the words. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, that's going to do it for us tonight. We're going to go record our after show. On tonight's after show, we're going to be talking about, we're going to play a game called What's That Smell? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just as curious as you are. But uh, if you would like to get access to our after show, that is something that is available to all of our patrons on Patreon. And basically, people like our podcast enough that they give us a few bucks every month to help keep the lights on and the mics running and the software license is paid for. Uh, so you can find us over at patreon.com slash working code pod. Of course, we have to send a shout out to our top patron, Monty. Appreciate all your support. And if you feel like you could have contributed to this conversation and you're staring at your phone angrily, maybe you should be joining our Discord so you can go over there and yell at us or just participate in the conversation that's going to happen over there. Uh, if you want to do that, you can go to workingcode.dev slash Discord. And that's it for us this week. We'll catch you next week. Until then, remember, your heart matters, even if you just change things around for funsies. You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code.